All right. As uh, Trevor mentioned, I, uh, when he asked me what I wanted to uh, try and do, I actually volunteered for this because I was interested in learning more about it. And the one thing I can say, I know a little bit more about it than when we agreed <laughs> that I was going to do this. Um, has anyone ever uh, had the opportunity to, uh, to speak and, do, and to work with uh, someone who uh, is an Islam, a Muslim? Okay, we've got several here, so I encourage any feedback that you guys may have had. I haven't. I've talked to a couple when we were in South Africa, but really not in depth. It was more just uh, one-sided from my standpoint, wanting to wanting to learn more about it. Let me tell you real quick. Um, tonight, um, the way I want to do this is when I when I first talked when I first. Ask myself, what, what do I know about the Islamic faith? My answer was that uh, I get everything I know from the evening news. Okay, and, and in my in my respect, it's they all want to blow us up. All right? And so what I've learned is that that not all of them want to do that. All right, there are some who do, uh, and and we need to be aware of that. But what I what I did is I went back and I wanted to learn more about the history, especially the time of Muhammad. And so that's what I want to share tonight. Uh, with you is really from a historical standpoint how it started and how it spread Uh, and then Sunday we'll really get into uh, looking at uh, verses that make our faith stronger but also what some of the things you may hear from their their standpoint and where they get that in the Quran and some of their uh, other books Um, why do we want to study these why do we want to study these other faiths of people and we talked briefly, briefly about it on, on Sunday. So we can know how to talk with them. But we also given in, in a New Testament that we are going to have false prophets out there, right? In Second Peter chapter two and verse one. But there are also there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And so we've got prophecy within uh, the New Testament that tells us we are going to have false prophets out there. Uh, so that's that's one of the focuses that we want to, to look at from this Islam perspective and what their belief is. Uh, first of all, I want to go over a couple of definitions and I uh, got this from... Uh, all this stuff is plagiarized, by the way, okay? <laughs> and I've tried to give credit where credit was due. Um, but just, just a few words that will come out and, and some of the discussions that we're going to have tonight. Uh, Islam actually is an Arabic word meaning submission. And so if you are an Islam, you are submitting uh, to the will of God. Uh, the term Muslim uh, it literally means submitter, okay? one who submits to the will of God, one who professes and practices the faith of Islam. Um, and so... When you talk about a Muslim is a follower of Islam, okay. So now talking about the spread of Islam, okay, it's now the second largest religion in the world. Uh, between one to one point eight billion people in the world are Muslims, right? and it's uh, growing at a rate of two point nine percent per year, or it's currently growing that, but it increases approximately. Uh, over a half percent a year. Now, Christianity is approximately growing at 2.3 percent, but it's not. Growing. I mean, it is 2.3 percent. It's not growing. 
which tells us that by the year 2025, it will, if it continues on as it is, it will become the largest religion in the world. Right? So it will affect us in one way or another. Oh, I moved it right before I came in. This is a current map of the population of, of Islam. Of course, we're going to be looking in and where, where it originated from. And, and this actually is very descriptive of how it spread because that's where it spread first and this has continued to grow there. But as you can see, there are Muslims all over the world uh, and it is continuing to grow. All right. Allah uh, is the word for deity and it's formed by the Arabic Allah, which means literally the God. Uh, in, their, in their belief is the eternal and uncreated creator of the universe and of all mankind. And we're going to speak a little bit more about that term because it's got an interesting origin. Okay. Uh, of course, Muhammad, and that's his, that's his full name, I'm not going to try to do that, is the professed prophet and founder of Islam and its face most important and significant messenger. What's interesting in the books that I've read is, uh, in the same book, uh, this, it was a Muslim author, and he says, you know, we can't call them uh, let's see, Mohammedites or Mohammedism or anything like that because that's offensive because... It, it, it tells them that, that you think that they were followers of Muhammad, where they're followers of Allah. Okay? And they, just repre- they, they see Muhammad as the greatest prophet. And then later on in the book, it talks about those who follow the, <laughs> the prophet Muhammad. So he kind of contradicted himself within his same book. Uh, and you will find that they, they say they don't follow him, but, but it is strongly, strongly, everything that they talk about, Muhammad is brought up in there. Uh, the Quran uh, it's spelled with a K, uh, K-O-R-N in English. It means literally the recitation or the reading. All right? This is Islam's holiest book, uh, being the uncreated Word of God revealed through Gabriel to the Prophet Muhammad. Uh, and it consists of 114 chapters called Surah, uh, arranged not in any chronological order at all. All right, and it's, it's ranged from the long, the longest surah comes first. Um, so that it makes a little bit of it, you're jumping back and forth a lot on, on particular verses on certain situations. Uh, hadith is uh, a word with several meanings, but it's really the recording sayings and doings of the Prophet Muhammad. So uh, apparently, while he was alive and he would be getting these revelations, he also made his own comments, and those were supposedly recorded. Um, and is a is 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 as it's not as sacred as the Quran, but it's looked upon as uh, as law. And then the Sunnah is uh, the practices of the prophets. And so what they would do is the people who were um, companions of the prophet, when when a situation arose, they would take a look at how he handled that. Some of that got written down. And so really the three. Uh, books, so to speak, that they reference is the Quran first, uh, the Sadith, and then the Sunnah. And that's kind of where they get their, their doctrinal uh, beliefs from. Alright, now we're going to go into really the history. This is in the 6th century. And uh, there was at the time at the time the world powers um, were the I, I'm going to mess up with some of these words, so you guys just bear with me. Uh, the Byzantine, uh, which is where uh, 
the uh, Roman emperor moved the um, headquarters from Rome, uh, Constantinople, which is uh, today Istanbul, Turkey. Okay. Uh, of course, this is this is the uh, Arab Peninsula where we're going to be talking about. But to their northwest, uh, they had the, the basically the Roman Empire, and then over here they had the Persian Empire. Uh, and at the time, there was there was trade coming over from India going back into the Europe, but they didn't want to they didn't they, they didn't want to go through there because the Persians and the Romans were always fighting each other. So where would they cut across? Well, they would cut across the, the Arabian Peninsula. And either going west to east and north to south, the, um, there were crossroads. We'll just make that. In a town called Mecca. All right? And it was very, it was very uh, uh, the trade was very important to that town. It was built around trade. Uh, and this is where uh, Muhammad was actually born. Uh, the tribe that he belonged to um, was the um, Quraysh tribe. And, and I, I mentioned tribes in these pictures. These are some of the tribes that existed there. From an Arab standpoint, the tribe is the most important thing. Uh, you're born into a tribe, so therefore you are a member of that tribe. And you are protected. If someone does you harm... The Arab rule was that they will return that. Uh, also, there were smaller tribes on the Arab Peninsula that, that really couldn't uh, have their own power. So what they would do is they would go to a larger tribe and they would pay some sort of a tax and they would come under the umbrella of this larger tribe. And so therefore, they were recognized, although they didn't have blood connections, they were recognized as a member of that tribe. So if another tribe attacked them, then this larger umbrella tribe would then take vendetta on the, the other tribe that attacked them. So that's very important because we're going to talk about that in, in Muhammad's uh, belief systems and everything. So just wanted to bring that up, what the situation was uh, in, in that time. Uh, he was uh, an orphan. Muhammad was an orphan. He was brought up by his uncle. Uh, he worked uh, some of the uh, caravans, but he grew up as a sheep herder. When he was uh, around uh, 20 years old, he went to work for a wealthy widow who was running caravans up to the north. And he successfully uh, was able to uh, bring the caravans back and forth. And, and he was actually known as a very honest person. He was, he was, he was known around Mecca as an honest person. Uh, and she, she saw in him something and she decided to marry him. He was 25, she was 40. Uh, she was very, very wealthy. So all of a sudden, now Muhammad had opportunity to work on more caravans and, and, and do all that, which is important because he wasn't stuck in Mecca all of his life. Uh, what you're going to hear from a lot of the, from the Islams is, yes, he was uneducated and he was illiterate. He could read Arabic. Um, but some of the books that I've read... Uh, really use that as an instance because how can an uneducated man uh, talk like this and have these sayings? Well, one reason is because he didn't stay in Mecca. He was traveling uh, all around. Uh, the other interesting thing is a lot of his philosophies we're going to see is brought in from the Jewish beliefs and the Christian beliefs. Uh, the Muslim written book that I read made the statement that uh, there are there were no Jews and everything in there. And we're going to see in just a minute that that's a false statement. Okay, um, 
So anyway, uh, around he was born around 570, and I, I left uh, on purpose. I left off the AD. When you read a lot of this, remember these are not my thoughts. Okay, so some of this, you know, he, when I when I capitalize the prophet and all that, I am basically typing. Okay, um, and then in 610 is when really his um, the the system that uh, that he held started. Right? One of the other things I want to bring out, um, the religion at the time. Very important. They were very, very paganistic. At the time in Mecca, there was a building called the Kaaba. Right? I've actually got a... This is a current picture of it. Okay, uh, Actually, the, the Hajj we'll talk about in just a minute is actually going on right now. And we'll talk about that. But this, this building is one of the uh, most, if it is probably the most important uh, religious building in the Islam faith. All right? Their belief is that this, built, this was built by, originally built by Adam. It was rebuilt by Abraham and Ishmael after Abraham was willing to offer Ishmael the key. Okay? All right? This was rebuilt... And and at the time, the pagans had 365 idols in there. And every year, they would have a pilgrimage or a hajj to this. And I'm not going to get into a lot of detail. I've got that later on about what the pilgrimage actually does. Very ritualistic, okay? Um, it also has a black stone in the, one of the corners. And they believe that uh, this is a... a, a Actually goes back to Adam's period too, and it's it's a a symbol from the heavens. They there everyone assumes that it's a meteorite. It's apparently it's never been studied. It's been broken several times from attacking attacking tribes and everything, and it's held together by something right now. Right? Um, but oh, southeastern corner now. When they go to the Hodge, one of the things they have to do is they have to touch and they have to kiss this rock. Okay. Well, that rock was there prior to Muhammad. Okay, so we have th- these are certain things that we have to remember because moving forward, we the Mus- the, the the Muslims look back to Muhammad, but he what he's going to do is he's going to incorporate a lot of the things that the Arabs were already doing at the time. Okay, very important to remember that. All right, so. You've got 365 idols, and you have people coming into town every year. What are those people going to be buying? Little idols. Okay? Now, uh, Muhammad, was, was his, his, um, his ideas were going more and more toward a monotheism, uh, the worship of one God. Actually, the whole history tells us that that because of the influx of, of the Europeans and everything, there were the Arabs were even starting to think about changing to that belief system. Right? So he's not he's not the fir- he wasn't the first one. Well, he started preaching that when he started getting his revelations. Actually, it was two years after he got his first revelation that he started teaching, because his wife had to convince him that he was a prophet of God. Right? And I'm, I'm not saying these things to make uh, I'm not saying these things to make fun of these people. I was talking to Trevor on Sunday. I said, you know, the more I read, I have to respect their faith. I totally disagree with it. 
Okay, but I have to respect it. So when I'm saying these things, I'm not saying, you know I'm not making fun of them. I'm just trying to tell you what I've learned uh, since I've been studying about this. Um, but they were very materialistic with the trade and with this idol worship and everything. Of course, there were people making a lot of money. And so when Muhammad comes in there and he starts preaching about we can't do this, we need to worship one God, how do you think those people took it? It's the same way they took it when, when uh, Peter and them says you can't do this. You know, well that's going to affect my that's going to affect my livelihood, and it caused this big uproar. The same thing happened in Mecca, and guess what they wanted to do to Muhammad? They wanted to kill him. All right, there was a little town up here, about 280 kilometers away, called Yathrib, and they were having some big time troubles. Uh, they had m- multiple tribes coming in there. Uh, they were having they were all the time conflicts and everything. And Muhammad had built about seventy uh, converts by this time. The Meccans were they they just wanted to get rid of him, and they actually invited him up there to uh, to actually come in and basically rule over their city. Prior to him leaving, the Meccans decided that they're going to take care of the problems. And they hire one person from all of the tribes within their vicinity, within Arabia, and they're going to go in and they're going to assassinate Muhammad. Why did they choose one from each tribe? No retribution. Okay. Who are you going to, are you going to avenge? Who are you going to, you know, who are you going to go back and kill? Because every tribe was represented. Someone came in and told... Muhammad of this, him and his him and his best friend at the time, Abu Bakr, uh, and we'll talk about him a little bit later. They flee and they make the excuse me, Haraj, the migration, okay, and they move from Mecca to Yathrib, and Yathrib becomes. The city of the prophet. Or it's literally the city. And I'm going to call it Medina. I started calling it Medina. I don't know how it's pronounced. So I think I've, I think I've got it in my brain now to call it Medina. Alright, so Muhammad and his 70 followers move up and they rename the city and he builds his first mosque there. All of a sudden, he starts preaching and these people start converting to Islam and the city actually becomes calm. But, with and, and they start bringing in new converts. All of a sudden, remember, there is no agriculture here. All of, all, if they need something, they steal it. They go and steal it from another tribe. Well, what Muhammad was preaching was that the community is more important than the tribe. And what he, what he has, has been... What has been revealed to him from God is that you don't need to take out this retribution because you don't need to be doing anything to someone else. He had some very good ideas. Uh, As he grew up an orphan and hungry, he was very concerned with how the rich were treating the poor. And one of his ideals or one of his revelations was that you shouldn't hoard money. If you have money, you should be willing to give it to those who don't. Um, You should be willing to help out your fellow man. 
You, you can't attack them. And so this idea grew, and all of a sudden, the tribe is now lower on the list than what the Uma, the community, is. And if you look down uh, at 620, when he makes his move up to uh, Medina, uh, the, the, the bullet point, social justice was a crucial virtue of Islam. Muslims were commanded as their first duty to build a community characterized by practical compassion in which there was fair distribution of wealth. This was far more important than any doctrinal teaching about God. I want to read that again. This was far more important than any doctrinal teaching about God. The political and social welfare of the Ummah or community would have sacramental value for Muslims. If the Ummah prospered, it was a sign that Muslims were living according to God's will. All right. So all of a sudden, the community is the most important thing. More and more people start converting. All of a sudden, they have trouble feeding everyone. It's the month of Ramadan. You can't attack any other tribe in the month of Ramadan. Uh, Muhammad finds out that there's a huge caravan coming from the north to Mecca. And he decides he's going to attack it. He goes out and attacks it. Some of his followers goes, but what about the requirements of Ramadan? He then has a revelation that it's okay to attack the infidels. Okay. A lot of times what you're going to see is situations occur, he makes a decision, later on he gets a revelation from God that his decision is correct. Okay. Uh, convenience. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, all of a sudden, Mecca's caravan is no longer there. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to go and attack them. Well, they send in representatives from multiple tribes and anyone that has any military background is when you get a group of people together and you've got multiple leaders and you start attacking someone, there's going to be some chaos. Well, Muhammad found out about it and he, he got uh, very, I think it was, uh, they were sending about, anyway, they're, they're, the Meccan force was a lot larger than the force that he brought up. But he, was very, he, he told them exactly what to do and him being the leader, they did what they did and guess who won the Muslims won. And guess what they said? It must be a sign from God because we won that what we are doing is correct. All right. That was called... There, there, I've got all this in, in my notes. They've named battles for all of these things. Um, if you turn over to page 2 on the back, um, this, is, this is one thing I wanted to bring out. Within Medina itself, Medina, um, you know, we talked about how some of the Muslim book that I read said that there were no Jews or anything around there. Actually, there were four clans of Jewish tribes in Medina. All right, and guess what? Guess what Muhammad did when he moved to Medina? What do you think, from the Islamic standpoint, that Muhammad would do? I'm sorry. What do you want? When he moved to Medina, there were four Jewish tribes. Okay, from the Islamic standpoint, what would you think that Muhammad would do with those Jews? Well, but from from today's standpoint, I would have thought he was going to get rid of them, right? But he didn't. 
He didn't coerce them into uh, converting to Islam. If you look at uh, the fourth bullet point, the Quran insists strongly that there shall be no coercion in matters of faith. And that's in Surah 2, verse 256. And commands Muslims to respect the beliefs of Jews and Christians. Actually, and they're referenced in the Quran. Okay, They're, they're called, that word in Arabic, a phrase usually translated people of the book, but is more accurately rendered people of an earlier revelation. Okay? He respected their belief. We're going to find out in a minute what they think about the Torah and the, and the Bible. Okay, But what's important, I think, from my standpoint, was that Muhammad was not forcing them to convert to Islam. Right? And on Sunday, we'll probably talk about um, some of the current aspects of the Islamic um, situation. Um, also... Uh, believe, and, and, and he talks about in, in the first bullet point in the Quran that there were um, lots of prophets. Actually, later on in your notes, Muhammad is quoted as saying there's 120, there was 124,000 prophets sent down from God. At the time, they had the true revelation of God. What, the, what they believe, and I'll just go ahead and tell you, what they believe is that the Torah and the Bible, all these other books that these other religions have, have been either lost multiple times, mistranslated numerous times, and that they are no longer the representation of God. So therefore, God came down and gave His final and true revelation to Muhammad, which made all of those, basically all of those other books obsolete. All right. So that's, that's the way they look at from the Quran to the, uh, to the, other, to the other books. But, it's, but I think it's important to see what Muhammad's philosophy was about the Jews and the Christians at the time. He was not out to, uh, although a little bit later he does exterminate some, but, but, but that wasn't his focus. All right? Now, um, about 624, that's when this first battle happens. And this was, this was an important time. Uh, when they went into the mosque, Guess when they went into their they they prayed at the rich, originally they prayed three times a day and they changed that to five times a day which is still what they what the uh, the Muslims do. Guess where they prayed to? Jerusalem initially. All right, they initially prayed facing toward Jerusalem. In 624, Muhammad suddenly realized, I guess, in conversations with the Jews and the Christians that. There were some conflicts between those two things, <laughs> and he goes, well, "Wait a minute, that's you know God. He, he doesn't think that there should be conflicts." And he was in the mosque one day, and they were praying, and he stood up and he told them to turn and face toward Mecca and pray. That was the change, and they've actually got the date. It was January something that he actually that he did that. All right, um, so that was a turning point for the. Uh, for the, the Islamic faith. And, and what, what some of the historians say is they were basic, he was basically turning his back on the beliefs of the Jews and the Christians and going back to the original monotheistic faith of Abraham. Remember the Kabbalah we talked about? What did they believe? What did the Arabics believe at the time? That it was built by Abraham. Okay, so now they face toward that shrine that they've made and they pray five times a day. Um, 
And in the next year, we see that there, there's still uh, some battles going on. I mean, all these people are starting to convert toward Islam. They want to get rid of this guy. The authorities want to get rid of this guy. And so they go in and they, um, they have another battle, but they're defeated at this time. All right? And guess what happens? Guess who gets blamed? Two of the Jewish clans or tribes get blamed for collaborating with the Meccans and they get expelled from the city. All right. In two years, they have another um, battle. They are given fair warning that the Meccans are bringing this huge force. And one of his um, advisors tells them to dig a big trench in front of the city. So that and it basically it doesn't give it, I couldn't find any description of how big it was, but it basically negligated the cavalry that the Meccans had, and the Muslims soundly defeated the Meccans, and they call that actually the Battle of the Trench, which makes city, which, which makes sense. In 628, um, guess what Muhammad decides he's going to do? What were the Arabs doing every year? They were making the Hajj, the pilgrimage. And so he decides he's going to make the pilgrimage. He's going to make the odds. And his followers are going, Muhammad, you know what they're going to do. And so he sets out with, I think, a thousand of his followers. And his, there, there's, a, there's apparently a safe zone around Mecca somewhere. And his, his plan was to make it to that safe zone. And the Meccan army found out about it. And they sent out assassins, but they couldn't find them until he made it to the safe zone. Well, there he is. And so they allow him to come in and to do the pilgrimage. Well, some of the Meccan leaders start converting to Islam. Well, that really makes them mad. Well, he goes back to Medina, and they, they actually make a peace treaty with him. And that, that allows him to go into Mecca and everything like that. And uh, 632 years later... Um, Meccans, some Meccan forces go in and attack some of the Muslim tribes. They basically break the treaty. Uh, Muhammad gathers a force of about 40,000, I believe is what they said, and he marched into Mecca and he encamped around it. Now, it was less than that because, interesting enough, they encamped around the hills and he told them to make fires so that it would make it look larger. Interesting. Story to talk about that, too. All right. And so the Meccans said, oh, look at all this huge force. And they basically opened the doors to Mecca. Muhammad walked in and took over the city without anybody being killed. No bloodshed at all. Okay? The first thing he does, he goes to the Kaaba and he destroys all of the idols. Except for one, which we'll talk about. Uh, they don't recognize it as an idol, but, but, but for one. Okay, um, in 632, Muhammad dies and he uh, is buried in the Medina and they built a mosque at where his burial place is. Right. Then what happens? The leader of the community, the Umar, is gone. And typically what happens when the leader dies? <clears throat> Chaos starts breaking out. Well, it did. There was a reason. There were four men who were very close companions to him. And they, and basically how the community and the tribe, we're going back to the Arab standpoint, how it worked is 
when the, when the leader died, the most spiritual, strong individual would be elected as the leader. And that's what they did. They, they went to themselves and they elected Abu Bakr, who was his father-in-law by this time. He had married his daughter, who was either six years old or nine years old, depending on which book you read, when he was 56 years old. Okay? Um, so by this time, Abu Bakr is his father-in-law, and he is elected as caliph. If you look down uh, in 632, it's basically a, a successor to Muhammad, who is head of the Islamic community. Well, but what happens? Chaos, civil war breaks out. Abu Bakr is able to subdue this revolt. Uh, it's actually given a name, the, the Wars of Ridda, which is, which is basically a, uh, like a, a civil war. Um, and he, he serves two years. He dies. Then this Umar in 634 becomes the second caliph. And this is when the expansion started. By 634, actually, by 634, most of the peninsula of, of Arab was converted to Islam and the community, the Ummah. Well, what does that say? What do we talk about? What is one of the rules of the community and the Ummah? When they needed something, where, what were they going to get it? They can't attack the other tribes because they're part of the Ummah now. Okay? And so they make the decision, we will now attack non-Muslim communities. And they start. Let's see. I've got to. They start expanding. Okay. Let me get rid of. Let me get rid of that. Sorry. Okay. And so what they do is they would go out and they would capture a city. What was the purpose? What is most of the time, from a military standpoint or or a uh, invasion standpoint, what do they? What do the soldiers want? The spoils of war. That was the reason that that they started expanding and, and, and going into these other places. What they didn't do is they didn't make them convert to Islam. Why didn't they make them convert to Islam? Because the Quran says you can't coerce people into converting to Islam. But what they did... They built garrison towns around here where the, the Muslim soldiers would actually live separate from the community. Right? The community would then pay taxes, and then, but they were then allowed to worship whatever they were worshiping prior to their invasion. What happens? You remember the situation they were in? They were, most of these were either under the Persian rule or the Roman rule. All of a sudden, they see these garrison towns <clears throat> pop up, and they see how these people are acting. They see that that they're distributing their wealth amongst themselves. You know, not not no one has need. And guess what happens? The people start looking at this and start saying, "I want to be like that." They start converting to Islam. Now, the the, the people, the the soldiers that were there were were preaching, but that wasn't the focus. That wasn't the purpose of the expansion. The purpose of the expansion was they wouldn't have any food. They didn't have enough food to feed their own people. And so they had to start invading to get that. Now, what happened? Okay, and in 638, the expansion moves over here. And guess what city they conquered? Jerusalem. All right, 638, the Muslims conquered Jerusalem. By 641, 
They've moved up into Syria, Palestine. They moved over east into Egypt. They're starting to control this this amount of uh, things, uh, this amount of land here. What happened, like even with the Roman Empire when they started expanding and the Islam started expanding, you know, back here in Medina where where the leaders were, what's going to happen to these people way out here? They're going to start losing control. And so they started setting up governors of these areas. Right? And this is the beginning of the fragmentation of the, of the Islamic religion. Okay? And what, you're, what we're going to see further on, especially after World War I, when a lot of these, uh, these states, these countries are built up, is really when it just started exploding and we started getting away from the community especially, and they started making their own little rules and guidelines. And that's what led, has led us to today in having different aspects between Iran and Iraq. All right. Going back to the caliphs, um, the fourth caliph was Ali, who was his son-in-law, who actually had the only two grandsons that Muhammad had. Um, and there was a sect that thought that Ali should have been the immediate successor to Muhammad. All right. The Shiite sect. The Shiites. The Sunnis, another sect, go back to basically what Muhammad said and then the community standpoint. So the Shiites and the Sunnis, you still hear about them today, right? That started within 30 years after Muhammad died. All right? You turn over to uh, the next page. Uh, we're not going to go into... I, I put this down because it's a whole lot less than I read it. It's some things that you can put into your notebook. If you go down to about halfway down where I've got my note, the first four caliphs to succeed Muhammad were all men who had been among his closest companions and had played a leading role in Mecca and Medina. They are known as the Rushudin, or the rightly guided caliphs. Muslims would define themselves in their theology according to the way they assessed the turbulent, glorious, and tragic events of these years. The Islamic political structure began as something akin to a representative democracy. The people would elect the most spiritual Muslim to lead them, but was transformed into a hereditary monarchy by ambitious men 30 years after Muhammad. So it didn't take him too long to start digressing from what his idea of the community was. After the fourth caliph in 661, then you start getting into lots and lots more history, which was really, really interesting reading to me. But I thought this was enough to kind of get you understanding what the situation was in Arab during Muhammad's time. And really going back to that statement that to me just um, the community was far more important than any doctrinal teaching about God. All right? And that still holds true today. Uh, the Islamic, the, the sense of community. All right? Um, I tell you what. We're going to start into, I'll go over some of the other stuff I've got here. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll look at some of the questions that I've got. What I want you to do when you start looking at these questions is we have to start, you can answer the questions, but what I'm really looking for is for us all to, where do we find it? Let's just write down the, the, the book, chapter, and verse, so to speak. How do we, I think the second question was, how do we know that prophets are from God? Where do we read that? That's something if we talk to these people that we're going to need to know. And that's that was kind of my focus of, of what some of those questions were. All right. I'll bring some more handouts on Sunday with some with some uh, some of the Quranic readings 
And we'll compare that to what the Bible has to say. Alright, but I really want you to think about that first question. And Trevor already knows the answer because we talked about it on Sunday. Alright? But I'm not saying they're, ever, they're, we're going to have all different answers. But I think what we have to understand. And I think when, when Greg gets up in several weeks and starts talking about the Mormons and where their faith comes from, we have to know who we're talking to. If we're talking to someone from a denomination, and I'm not going to get into that because I'm going to answer my question. <laughs> okay. All right, but what we're going to be looking for is some reference material that you can keep into your notebook that if you have an opportunity to talk to these people, hopefully we can, we can begin building this foundation. All right? Thank you very much. I appreciate it.